This is Archive Atlanta, episode 36, Atlanta Churches, part one. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday. There is nothing I love more than listener requests. Sometimes they come in and the topic or the place is too small for a 15-20 minute episode. So in those cases, I usually hoard them in miscellaneous piles, kind of digital piles, and I start to look for commonalities. Last week, I got a lovely email from Jeff Carr asking if I had ever thought about featuring the church that he and his wife attend, the Catholic Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. I knew the basic history of the church and I had hoped to be able to feature it one day. I just didn't really know how to make it work. Well, here we are. What I decided to do was feature several Atlanta churches um, in one episode. And guys, there are so many. I was actually overwhelmed with the amount of churches in such a small space. The list is so long. They span into many neighborhoods. So this will definitely be a part one or part two, maybe part three. But for today, for this week, I wanted to keep the focus in the city core and specifically in downtown Atlanta. As an outsider, religion in the South can sort of smack you in the face. And as a non-religious person, the landscape has been difficult for me to navigate at times. The religiosity down here has always fascinated me, and this episode was a great opportunity for me to learn how it came about. I'm sure we've all heard and used the term Bible Belt, and Atlanta is very much in that belt. After the Revolutionary War ends, the English Anglican Church was reorganized as the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States. This switch turned more people towards Methodist and Baptist preachers in the South. This topic is very detailed, very nuanced, and honestly, it could be its own episode. But in an effort to sum up the big points, it's a combination of lack of immigration, homogenous population, divisions over slavery, and segregation that create what we call the Bible Belt. The earliest religious groups in Atlanta are the Methodist and the Baptist, There is a Jewish history as well, though, and a growing Catholic population, and I hope to touch on all of them as the series continues. What I also love about churches is that they're in the same category as cemeteries, in the sense that society places them into a special, sacred, higher-value tier, which means that many of them survive when other structures do not. There's an entire coffee table book on historic Southern churches that I love, um, and these buildings were and sometimes still are the center of a community and the place where all of the history is held. To begin today, the first church we're going to talk about is Central Presbyterian, which is at 201 Washington Street. The easiest way for me to explain this, though, is that it's the beautiful church directly across from the Georgia State Capitol building. Atlanta's first Presbyterian church, which I will talk about in another episode, was the first Presbyterian congregation in Atlanta. And the story goes that 39 members of that original congregation had a dispute of sorts that was so great that the governing body of the Presbyterian churches split the congregation into two. This new congregation would be called Central. At first, with no building, they held services inside the old city hall. And fun fact, the old city hall used to be on the land where the capital is now. Their first building was built in 1860 in the same spot that the current one stands today, and 1860 is just one year before the outbreak of the Civil War. 
The first pastor was an ardent secessionist, and almost all of the white male congregants of age went to fight in the Confederate Army. The church building itself would be used by General Sherman, and the story is that the Sunday school building at the time was used as a slaughterhouse to provide his army with meat. After the war, the church goes sort of through a dark period around uh, the 1870s. There was in the South and in Atlanta, there was this effort after the war to kind of get everybody back onto strict moral code. So the governing body issues a letter urging punishment of those, quote, violating the laws of the church, end quote. What ends up happening is that the pastor begins to crack down on the moral character of all of its members, placing them on trial um, for things like the, one of the most famous cases is there was a congregant named Frank Block. He was threatened with excommunication for dancing at his daughter's Christmas party. A new church building would be constructed in 1885, which is the building that we see today. It was designed by architect Edmund Lind. This is considered one of his finest works. Um, it's in the English Gothic style, and it's built with stone. What I love is that the state capitol was moved to Atlanta in the same year. So imagine this building is going up at the same time as the capitol that you also see today. It was in that same year that the pastor establishes outreach programs, launching mission schools and other churches all around the city. In 1907, Sunday school classes started the Atlanta Union Mission, which we also still have today. In 1922, they opened a baby clinic, which provided free medical service to needy families. As white flight hit the congregation in the 30s and the 40s, the church made a very formal decision, so to speak, to stay where they had been since the antebellum years and continue to serve the community. And if you know this church today or have volunteered there, it does fulfill that mission so spectacularly. It serves those experiencing homelessness and hunger in Atlanta. Um, they have a wintertime shelter. I mean, I just love that it's kind of sticking with that same original mission. Our second church shares a block with Central Presbyterian and has one of the coolest stories of the bunch. The Catholic Shrine of the Immaculate Conception holds a title of being the first Catholic church in Atlanta with a congregation dating back to the 1840s, which makes it maybe have a claim to being one of the oldest in Georgia. Their first church building was a basic square structure built around 1848, um, and that was built by an Irish missionary named Father John Barry. But the most important story of this Catholic church is not exactly the building, but it's about its priest. Father Thomas O'Reilly was born in Ireland, graduated seminary, and was promptly sent over to Atlanta, where early Catholics were just kind of wandering. <laughs> they were holding mass inside people's homes without a very organized, dedicated structure. By 1861, he was named leader of the Shrine of Immaculate Conception. Now remember, 1861, start of the Civil War. So although the battle would not come to the city for another three years, it would become the center of Confederate supplies and hospitals. Father O'Reilly spent much time inside these hospitals, ministering to both Union and Confederate soldiers, performing last rites. Um, he, was, he was very popular on both sides. In September of 1864, Atlanta falls to Union forces under General Sherman. And so the story goes that Father O'Reilly warned Sherman that burning churches and homes was going way too far. Sherman ignored him. He then pleaded for some kind of compromise, and he even warned the general that the merchants and tradesmen who had not gone to war would defend the churches of Atlanta. Part of this group that was going to defend the city was an Irish militia called the Hibernian Rifles, 
Now, the Rifles did not formally organize until the early 1900s, but this group is considered its earliest iteration. So in this meeting that O'Reilly had with uh, Sherman, he asked for the sparing of five churches, his included, all in that same area of downtown, as well as City Hall and the courthouse, considering that they were really close by and he was afraid, you know, if one burned, the fire would catch. And guess what? It worked. The five churches were not burned, neither was City Hall, and although most of those churches were demolished in the following decades, because Atlanta, this story is so amazing. Although the Shrine of Immaculate Conception building did survive, it was damaged during the war, so parishioners decided to build a new building in 1869 on the same spot. This was designed by William Perkins, and this gorgeous Gothic revival is the building that you can still see on the corner today. The new church was not completed um, and dedicated until 1873, and what's sad is that Father O'Reilly would not live to see this new shrine. He died in 1872 at the age of 41 in a hospital in another state. I think it might have been Virginia. So his remains were returned to Atlanta. He had one of the largest funerals that had been held to date, and they buried him in a vault underneath the new church building's altar. In 1945, the Atlanta Historical Society erects a monument of the priest to honor him for saving the churches and city hall. So over the next 40 years or so, kind of a weird thing happens. The story of Father O'Reilly, his actions, and his burial seem to be forgotten until 1982. So that year, the church catches on fire and the roof falls in. And the roof breaks through the concrete floor of the altar. Lo and behold, the forgotten crypt holding the coffins of Father O'Reilly and Father Cleary, are discovered. And so the story has kind of a reemergence of sorts. By 2007, the city of Atlanta um, honors Father O'Reilly with a Phoenix Award for his contributions to the city. So Jeff was kind enough to send me a few photos of the crypt. Um, It is available to pilgrims to see. And he actually told me that there is a shelter run in the winter months there as well. And the volunteers you know, when they're kind of taking a, a few hours break to sleep, they'll sleep just steps from Father O'Reilly's grave. Okay, so let's travel a little further north to the corner of Cortland and John Wesley Dobbs Avenue. The congregation of the First Congregational Church goes all the way back to 1867 and the Store School. The Store School is one of the first two schools in Atlanta for African Americans, and it was established by the American Missionary Association. I've talked about this before in the Gaines Hall episode, but the AMA was comprised of northern whites that came to the south to help educate newly freed slaves, provide social services, religious services, things like that. So this store school has a chapel where white congregants would worship. As newly freed black Atlantans were baptized, they were joining in worship in the store school chapel. In time, they would petition for a church of their own, and a new little red brick church was built. By the 1890s, the congregation has become majority African-American, and this church is the second oldest African-American congregational church in the United States. Its first black minister in 1894 was Dr. Henry Hugh Proctor. He was a son of enslaved parents, a graduate of Fisk University and Yale Divinity School. After the 1906 race riot, which has its own episode that I can't remember right now, um, Proctor joined with white Atlanta attorney Charles Hopkins to create an interracial committee of Atlanta. 
And Henry believed that black residents of the city needed recreational activities. So he used his church to have a library, a kindergarten, a gym, employment bureau, music room, counseling services, sewing room, you name it. It was like a super duper YMCA. Reverend Proctor was a strong believer in self-improvement, and he wanted to give the African-American community of Atlanta tools for improving their lives. In 1908, he was responsible for the construction of this new church building. And the new building was designed by Alexander Bruce and Arthur Everett and built by contractor, who was also a member, named Robert E. Farrow. The groundbreaking was a big deal, and it was attended by Booker T. Washington. This was the Church of Atlanta's Black Elite, and it was the most socially conscious church from the 1890s to the 1930s. Well-known congregants include the Herndons, which have their own episode coming soon, Walter White from the NAACP, Henry Rucker, first black IRS agent for Georgia, Mayor Andrew Young, Grace Towns Hamilton. I mean, there's a whole bunch. I love that the church building is still on the corner. Um, it's still an imposing structure on that corner. You can go by and see it today. The last two churches are just on the end of downtown's original limits, and they happen to be almost across the street from each other. The first is the Basilica of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. That is at 325 Petrie Street, which is next door to the former Imperial Hotel. That congregation dates to 1880, when their first church stood um, on Marietta Street and another street that does not exist anymore. It was originally called Saints Peter and Paul, and it was a sister church of the Shrine of Immaculate Conception. So lots of these earlier, bigger churches, they would have little offshoots, and they would either be called like sons or daughters or siblings. Um, most of the time they were being built further north. So kind of by the time, let's say you get to Buckhead, you may have an iteration of a church from downtown. Now, as this original church, um, where it was, they thought the area was too commercial. So they stretched out and tried to distance themselves from downtown. I find this hilarious because now they're basically in the center of downtown. But this is a great way to show you how small the city was in its earliest days. In 1897, they chose a new property at the intersection of now Peachtree Center Avenue and Peachtree Street. The incredible red terracotta building that you see today was designed by W.T. Downing, the same man who designed the Wimbish House um, from the Atlanta Women's Club episode, and it cost about $28,000 to build. That's a really big sum of money in 1897. Once it opened in 1898, the name was changed to its current Sacred Heart of Jesus. In 1902, the parish would actually form the first Catholic school in Atlanta. And then in 2010, it was deemed a basilica by Pope Benedict. So now we have its full name, Basilica of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. As you can imagine from a 121-year-old church building... It needs some help. The exterior, interior repairs, HVAC stuff. Um, but the famous spires, so when you see the building, you know, there's twin spires on either side. Really iconic facade, and they are in need of some help. So the church has a donation campaign currently going, and I'm going to put a link on the website in the show notes in case anybody would like to donate to this cause. And the last church of this week's episode is Atlanta's First United Methodist. Now, this is at 360 Petrie Street, just across from the old Imperial Hotel, also across, obviously, from the Basilica. And it's just as the business entertainment portion of Petrie Street ends. 
I love this part of our famous street because once you got past this, it would become all residential mansions, like I talked about in the mansions of Peachtree. Um, and if you've walked by this church, you know that it's strikingly beautiful, especially right when the sun's going down. But the story of this church goes much further back than we know, and also it goes back to two other spots downtown. Local Methodists were holding services in private homes, just like the Catholics, um, until about 1845 when Samuel Mitchell donated land for church purposes. This first lot was where the Georgia Pacific building stands today, and it was a really small log cabin. So this becomes really one of the first houses of worship in the entire city. So during the week, it was used as a school, and church was held on Sundays. And what I love, though, is that the Sunday school was interdenominational, since, you know, everybody used it. So there was Baptists, Presbyterians, and Methodists, and they would just alternate days as to not ruffle each other's feathers. By 1847, the Methodists decided they needed their own church building, and $700 was raised to purchase land on Peachtree Street. So this new chapel was named Wesley Chapel, after John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And the money raised was solely to cover the cost of the new building, but they kind of forgot about a church bell. A fund drive for a new bell was started in 1850, and they raised 300 more dollars. So hence, you know, the bell is installed. But a decade later, we have the Civil War. And what was happening during the war is that all metal was being donated to the Confederacy and melted down for the war effort. Every available church bell in the city of Atlanta was donated. But Atlantans got together and they decided that one bell's gotta stay. And they decided the bell of Wesley Chapel was the lucky one. Its ring would call all denominations. Um, it would notify fires. There were riots. And then when Sherman's troops approached the city, it rang as well. Wesley Chapel is actually the only church mentioned by name in the Gone with the Wind novel. In 1870, a new church structure was built and would be used for about 33 good years. At the turn of the 20th century, First Methodist would sell that building and its land to Asa Candler, Coca-Cola founder. So it was on this land that Asa built his iconic Candler building, which is still standing today, but even more exciting, it's about to have a new lease on life as a boutique hotel. First United Methodist then goes on to purchase the lot they have now. So the building you see today was built in 1903. It's made of stone mountain granite, and it was designed by Willis Denny. The best part about this Gothic revival beauty is that the bell that rings today is the original bell. So I don't know about you, but I am strategically planning to be very close to there on Sunday to hear it because I, I learned this and it just blew my mind and made me really excited. So there you have it, the first installment of Atlanta Churches. I want to thank Jeff again for sparking this idea and providing information and photos from his church. I have not been able to go and get my usual photos because pretty much life has been kicking me in the butt lately. Um, but if any listeners are members of these congregations or have photos to share, please remember to tag hashtag Archive Atlanta. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, remember to leave a rating or a review. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.